Welcome to Cards Chat, the friendliest poker podcast in town from the world's number one poker community. Hey everyone, I'm your host, Robbie Straczynski, and thanks so much for joining us on episode number 15 of Cards Chat, the friendliest poker podcast in town. On this episode, we have the pleasure of welcoming 2003 World Series of Poker main event champion, Chris Moneymaker, one of the newest members of the Poker Hall of Fame and a longtime ambassador for poker stars and frankly, the game of poker itself. Today, we were going to catch up with Chris to see what he's been doing these last few months and what life has been like. Chris, welcome to Cards Chat. I'm happy to speak to you again. Good to talk to you, Robbie. You doing well? I'm doing okay. Thank you for asking. I appreciate it. And that's actually kind of my first question for you. How are you doing? How's, how's it going? Oh, you know, doing what everybody else is doing right now, just sort of staying indoors, avoiding people. Um, I mean, life's good. I can't complain, but um, it'd be nice to see a, a hand of cards um, play a little poker. I've done a lot of studying and a lot of sitting around doing a lot of honeydews. I got all my honeydews done the first like four months. Um, so now I'm actually just working. I'm working with a couple coaches and trying to improve my game and just get ready to when we do go back out into the real world and be ready to play. Right. I hear that. We'll definitely be asking about your uh, study regimen pretty soon. Um, as far as sort of like what you're doing at home, I know you've got, you know, a very active family life. Are you sort of getting in touch with dad mode? Oh, yeah, for sure. I mean, I've been to all the soccer games, all the volleyball games. I get to hang out with the kids, get to hang out with the wife. Me and the wife watch new shows. We catch up. I mean, it's been incredible. We cook every night at home. We um, became really a close-knit family throughout this whole you know year, which has been really, really great since I've been traveling so much over the last decade or so. And uh, it's actually shown me that I want to be more of a stay-at-home dad and be closer and um, not travel near as much. So, um, that's going to be one of my 2021 uh, New Year's resolutions is once we get back to hopefully the new normal, we can uh, not travel as much as we once did. And I'll be at home more and be more involved in the kids' lives. They love having me at home. I love being at home. Um, you know, I can tolerate my wife. Um, I love you, honey. I'm just kidding. <laughs> it, it's been awesome. I can't, I mean, you know, I know it's a, it's a hard time for a lot of people. Um, there's a lot of bad things going on. Um, I've just been fortunate that I've got a great family and I do enjoy being with them. Um, financially we're okay. So, you know, we don't have that struggle. Um, so, it, you know, honestly, it's, it's been really nice, um, for me, all things considered. Um, the one thing I will say is I do, I do miss hanging out with people. I miss seeing people. I haven't, I mean, I'll talk to my friend on the phone, uh, a really good friend of mine, but outside of that, I really don't engage much with that outside world a whole lot. And I don't, I definitely don't see anybody. Um, you know, it's been like this. I mean, I started prepping in January. I saw it coming. So wow. we went, we bought and we were, we were stocked up sort of, I've never been a prepper, but we were prepped and ready. My wife thought I was absolutely crazy in January when I told her to go out and buy a hundred rolls of toilet paper and paper towels and all this canned food and all this stuff. She was like, what? I mean, you're just an idiot. I told a couple of friends to do the same and they all laughed at me. And uh, a couple of them took me seriously and went and did it, but most of them, you know, like whatever. Um, but they've all been reaching out to me recently. It's like, Hey, should we go stock up again? You know, you know, all the <laughs> shutdown stuff. Wow. And then, you should have already done that. It's already getting it's already getting thin over here. But um, you know, all that being said, you know, it's it's nice being home. We we have two acres and we have a big enough house that you know we have our own space, which is nice. Um, so at the end of the day, everything's fabulous, all things considered. Long 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 version of the short answer. Well, it's important. You know, it's uh, look at the end of the day, you don't just uh, exist on these uh, one hour long podcasts. You have 24 hours a day to fill. And it's interesting to hear how you fill your time. And it's, it's also nice to hear that it's a two way street, not that you're just happy to be home, but you know, family's happy to have you home, which is uh, really nice to hear. Yeah. I mean, honestly, it's, it, it really has been amazing. I mean, my wife, we used to hang out 24 hours a day back in the day before we had kids and we haven't done that in forever. And um, we used to always joke that when we get sick of each other, I would, it'd be time for me to go on the road again. And then <laughs> the travel was so great because by the time I was homesick, I'd be ready to come home. It was really good for our relationship and our marriage. Um, but I will say, you know, being at home, it's been so much better. I mean, just having that comfort of knowing that 
you're with the one you love and everybody's safe and you're with your kids and you get to see them grow up. And I mean, I'm, I'm sure you're going through this too with your three kids. I mean, it's something amazing to be able to get up and like, you know, this morning we're, all three kids are homeschooling. So, you know, we're going through and making sure they're ready, cooking them lunch and, you know, just being there for them, supporting them and being with them. Um, we do have soccer games tonight. Um, I don't know how much longer we're going to be playing soccer, but um, we're trying to maintain as much normalcy as possible within their lives. I mean, obviously I've cut back on my, my stuff. My wife is a stay at home mom, so she's not really do change much for her, but for the kids, um, we put them back in school as, as much as they possibly could. We let them play sports when they can. We've let friends come over. We try to keep it outside, but um, for them, you know, we try to keep it as normal as possible. Um, you know, obviously what they're going through is um, difficult, I would say, for anybody. Um, but I'll say, you know, my son, for example, he he's happy to sit there and play Fortnite all day with his friends. He plays <laughs> Fortnite about every, you know, an hour a day with his friends. And, they, you know, that's how they're, they're communicating and, and being together. Um, my daughters, you know, they get TikTok and FaceTime and all yep. that, you know, but they're teenagers now and they, you know, they, they have a mind of their own. Sure. By, by us, it's uh, Minecraft and Among Us. Yeah, that's the big thing also communicating. So you know, yeah, they, they started playing Among Us. Yeah. I saw that. They, they, we played a few games and um, it's, it's a fun little game. Yeah. I, I can't say I've played, but I can understand why it's so popular. And they got this whole lexicon oh, that, of sus and all that other junk. So I get it. We, we got, we got me, mom and all three kids playing game. You know, we play among us, you know, we'll sit at, we'll play we'll eat dinner. Then we'll go play among us on our, all of our devices. And, um, you know, someone will hear the, someone will die and like, Oh, I know who it is. I know who it is. And I'll follow <laughs> you around with the ghost and uh, try to throw everybody off. My kids honestly aren't too good at the game. They give away too many clues. <laughs> well, you know how to spot a good tell, I suppose. Um, but uh, no, I do I do like it. And, you know, so many folks, you know, depending on how hardcore or, or recreationally you you fan, you know, you're a fan of the uh, of poker as an industry of a sport, they still see you through that lens of, you know, the 27-year-old accountant who, who won the, the, the main event, who's got the two bricks in the air. Obviously, you know, you're normal, just like all of us, you know, anyone who's got kids out there, anyone, you know, that's the night, the interesting thing about this pandemic, wherever you live in the world, you're, everyone, everyone is experiencing it in some way or another, including champions, ambassadors, et cetera. So it's uh, certainly interesting to get that little window uh, into your life. And, and thank you very much for sharing that with us, Chris. I appreciate it and yeah. certainly resonates with me as a fellow family man with three kids. So I totally get it. Um, so I do imagine though, prior to the pandemic, you know, before the world turned upside down, I'm sure you had a lot of plans, uh, especially in your role as a poker stars ambassador. Uh, I think there was maybe the, the moneymaker poker tour, uh, was possibly in the works, uh, towards the second PSPC. Of course, you know, we all know, and obviously everything had to be placed on the back burner until the situation improves worldwide. As far as your ambassadorial work uh, and your just general schedule, to what degree has that changed? Oh, I mean, uh, to the most extreme possible. I mean, like you said, in 2019, we were doing the money. We did the moneymaker tour all through all through the U.S. and it was a huge success. So we decided on the PSPC version too that we were going to expand the uh, moneymaker tour to interna international scale and. Towards the end of 2019, we actually went to Europe. We played in London a few times. We went over, um, uh, I can't remember all the places we went. We had like five or six events over there in, in Europe. And um, it's all kind of run together now. But the plan was to have that fall period be European and then come back over to the U.S. for the spring and summer leading up to Barcelona, which was supposed to be in August of this year, right. uh, to do the moneymaker tour throughout the, the U.S. and Canada um, and Latin America as well. And so my travel schedule was going to be really intense um, doing this this tour. And um, obviously, all that went out the window really quickly. Um, the problem that I have where I'm at is it's not legal to play on Poker Stars, and um, I can't really travel. And when you're an ambassador that engages with people on a regular basis, um, 
that makes things difficult when you're dealing with a global pandemic. Um, and the fact that I can't go and stream and do, and do some of these other things. So um, I'll be honest, starting in about, I want to say March, April timeframe, I just haven't done anything. I've mm-hmm. been sitting at home, being with the family, doing stuff around the house. I'll play Poker Stars VR, um, which is a, a really cool game. They sent me a VR kit and I've been playing, I'll play this once a week. Um, they have blackjack and slots and poker and it's a, it's a good, fun community environment. So I'll play that once a week and then I'll get on and I'll play for play money. Um, they want me to start playing more play money, which I'm going to start doing over the holiday season here. Mm-hmm. Um, but to answer your question, for the most part, I really haven't done a whole lot. It's been really low key because I just don't think anybody really knows what's going on for the longest time. I mean, it's, you know, they didn't cancel the PSPC until a couple of weeks before. Right. Um, you know, we, we didn't know if the summer was going to give us some reprieve and hopefully we were able to have some stuff and um, who knows what was going to happen in the fall. And I, I mean, I think we're in the same thing with the spring, like right now for the spring, we're already sitting here. like, are we going to have anything? You know, is the vaccine might be coming out or are we going to be able to do anything in the spring? Um, is there going to be a world series next year? I mean, yeah, these questions, we just don't know. Sure. I mean, and that's, you know, it's hard for me to schedule or do anything. I mean, I get phone calls all the time from poker rooms and rooms in Texas. I was in the process of potentially opening a room in Texas in the beginning of this year. Mm-hmm. Um, but I've been doing a lot of appearances in Texas and they're all calling me, Hey, come out and do appearances, do all this stuff. I'm like, I have one that, that called me up and I asked for five times my normal pay. And they're like, Whoa, that's a little high. I'm like, it's called hazard pay. I'm not traveling. <laughs> I'm a lot of money. Um, so I, I just haven't really been doing the whole lot because again, we just don't know. And I can't really put anything on my schedule. I mean, I do have something tentatively scheduled, I think in January. Um, that's my first trip is mm. down to Miami to go down to the hard rock and play in a tournament down there. Um, but I'm good friends with Tony Burns, the, the poker room manager and the head of uh, the hard rock down there. And you know, it's under the terms that we have a vaccine or somehow we're by where we are right now. And, but that that's my first scheduled appearances, you know, all the way off in January. And given how things look right now, I don't foresee me making that trip. I mean, I'm hoping, I'm hoping by April, we have some sort of normalcy and we can hopefully have the world series next year. I mean, the two world series that we've had this year or we're having this year is, a, is it, it's bad. I mean, you give a guy the world series bracelet and then you take it away from him. Um, so, you know, hopefully we can get back to some kind of like actual real life poker. And I know there's some poker tournaments happening. I think mid stakes is having some around here. I think, I don't know if run goods had any yet or not, but I know there's been a few. Yeah. I know there's been, I've, I've seen some posts about, you know, Venetian having a few in Vegas and, um, but you know, again, there's a poker room 30 minutes from me down in Tunica and they're, they're holding games. I think it's five handed if I'm not mistaken with masks and plexiglass and, um, all that. And I'll get phone calls again. I've got friends that play home games. They want to play a two table tournament down the road. I'm like, man, you can call me next year. I'm not, you, I wouldn't be caught dead in a poker environment sitting around a table for eight hours sharing air with people Right. after I've been sitting at home for six months. I'm not going <laughs> to do that. And especially like Tunica, they're playing, you know, one, two and two, five. I mean, no, no, thank you. It's just not going to happen. So I don't know what my point is. Okay. Um, I'm just playing it by year. And hopefully, you know, as we get into the spring next year, we start seeing some vaccine development and um, plans start changing and we can figure out how to get back to doing either the moneymaker tour or, I mean, I think right now the, the plans to do Barcelona in 2021, I don't think it's been officially announced yet because we right. don't know. Right. Um, I, I, I think I mean, that's a, a fair, yeah, it's a fair answer. You know, you know, no one, you know, can predict the future. There's no really right or wrong answer, you know, just sort of like in poker, you don't know what the next card off the deck is going to be. You just got to try to be prepared for it, adjust accordingly. And, and just kind of to speak to what you have been doing, you did say that you sort of been in the lab, you know, using the opportunity, you know, being home, you're studying. So what you're working with solvers or what, what's going on? I'm working with a few coaches. I'm, I'm working with Poker Code with Fedor, Fedor Holtz's Poker Code. I'm working nice. with Razor Edge. 
Um, and then I've got a few private coaches that I'm working with and, um, I don't really get into the whole solver thing too much, but okay. my coaches are, are pushing me in that direction. And it's really just about being ready to get back out there and, and be the best version of myself as I can be. I mean, before I go back out, I mean, I've put on about 30, 40 pounds during quarantine. So I need to get on the Robbie running train. And <laughs> you showed me earlier that you have a treadmill in your house and I've seen you on it actually, where I have a treadmill in my house. It just hasn't been used in five years. So, um, <laughs> I've got my my mind right to play and I've been working on the mental and the tactical side of poker. I just need to get the physical side figured out. And I tell my wife every day, tomorrow I'm going to start and tomorrow's got to be sometime. I've I've got a side bet with a friend that (laughs) if I don't weigh 200 pounds by the time the world series rolls around next year, if we do go live, I have to show up in the Borat sling um, bikini. The mankini. Oh my God. I have to show up to play in the main event in that. So please I'm lose the weight then, Chris. I don't think we want to see that. <laughs> no one, no one wants to see it and I don't want to do it. Okay. I well, need to weigh 200 pounds. I weigh about 260 right now. So I've got 60 okay. pounds to lose before um, the summer of next year. Well, there's nothing like a good prop bet uh, to get somebody motivated. I'll even give you a little uh, inkling. Yes, as much as I do the running, unfortunately, I've also noticed an uptick in the weight. So it's also, but you know, we're, we're all, it's happened to everybody. So I think a, a prop bet's a good way to go and, and get that motivation. My daughter likes to bake. It's not fair. She likes right. to bake cookies <laughs> and cakes. And we're in quarantine, so we just let her do it. And then yep. someone has to eat it. Yep. We don't go to waste. I mean, you get it. So, I mean, again, that's why I, I, I put on so much weight, but um, you know, we were talking about financial, a financial wager and uh, you know, I've had financial wagers in the past and I end up just buying out of it, you know, cause I just, I, it doesn't inspire me enough, mm-hmm. but showing up in that costume <laughs> will inspire me to lose the weight. It's enough and of it, a punishment. Well, I say that it hadn't inspired me yet. We made the bet like three weeks ago and I haven't done Jack crap yet. So I, I really do need to get on it. Maybe I need to go buy the outfit and like hang it up over here so I can see it. Oh my goodness. And that will inspire me to uh to get moving because I'm not wearing that thing to the World Series. I I hear you. Well, as far as the studying that you're doing, it's inter- I find it interesting that you are mentioning multiple sources, multiple different training sites, and then you know different coaches. Is that a little bit confusing, perhaps? Because everyone kind of sometimes has their own approach to the game. Well, no, that's what I like. I mean, there's no one way to approach this game. I mean, mm-hmm. everybody has their own opinions about it. Everybody has their own ways. I've always felt like. I'm pretty good at adapting my style and adapting, taking what works for, you know, what one coach will tell me and adapt, you know, someone else will tell me and try to, you know, use it to fit my style. I mean, my style is a little bit unique in the fact that people attack me and what, you know, I I get called down lighter. So I got to play a little bit tighter than most. I go for value more often and I look up bluffs more often just based on who I am. Um, so I have to adjust everything a little bit just for, for me being player specific, but excuse me. Um, the thing I like about using different viewpoints is if I have a question about a hand, um, I can ask five, six, seven people mm. of, you know, really good pros and get really good input and almost universally it's always different. Um, very rarely is the, is a hand just you do this right first of all if it's you do this i really don't have a, a, a problem with it it's always well you know if you were five big blinds less or five you know you maybe had you're on the butt and you were in the middle under the gun or um change a couple variables based on opponents you know maybe mm-hmm. you should have done this instead of that um or maybe you should have been raised instead of shift all in you know everybody gives a little bit different feedback and uh, I I like the fact that I can get multiple sources of feedback. And again, I'm not really doing a whole lot else right now. So I've got some time to, um, to work on the game. And um, so no, I like the multiple coach angle. Now I get how it can be daunting to get that much information in at times, but I like to focus on, you know, so for, you know, we'll do three bets and four bets for a while work on squeeze spots, work on, first thing we do is work on leaks. 
Um, anybody seeing leaks in anything that I might be doing or, you know, have done in the past, um, address those, you know, uh, one's a mental coach more than anything else, just making right. sure that, um, you know, I don't have any weaknesses when it comes to, you know, my biggest weakness forever has been whenever I get a big stack and I lose a big portion of it, I want to hurry to get that stack back. I, I get a little antsy. You and millions and, uh, of others. <laughs> I get that for sure. It, it, it's been a leak of mine for years and I, I addressed it for a long time. I don't want to say back in 2011, I addressed it, but I could see it creeping back in. And so I uh, just wanted to get some more information on that and uh, clear my head to realize, you know, again, just to, you know, it's easy to say when you take a bad beat or you lose some chips, just to, it's poker, get over it. It happens. You want to, you know, you want the guy there putting his money in bad, all, you know, all these things that we tell sure. you, you know, everybody, this is how, but actually, to, you know, to actually believe it and put it into practice is a different thing. And, Absolutely. you know, what, one of the things that I've been learning and it, it sounds just stupid. I'll be honest. It sounds ridiculous, but, um, to be happy for the person that beats you. Oh, um, yeah, it doesn't make any sense. But like, if you really start, I don't know how, but you start believing in it eventually, you're like, you know what? Good for him. You know, that guy's had bad breaks and he's, you know, whoever it is, that guy's taking some bad beats and he needs a good one. So just be happy for the other person. Hmm. I'm generally, I like to think I'm a happy person. And, you know, one of the things that when I was working with the coach, um, you know, what he was asking me was, you know, what type of things give you relief or make you happy. I'm like, oh, I like seeing other people do well. I like seeing other, you know, helping people out and just everybody being happy. So he's like, well, just think every time you lose a pot, you're making someone else real happy. Hmm. And like, wow. yeah, I was like, no, think about that. I mean, you know, if, if you generally like to see other people happy, then when you lose a pot, you know, this guy's going through the same stuff you're going through. He's lost. Right. He's taking every bad beat in the world. He always seems that, you know, whatever you get deep in the tournament, because I, when I teach people, it's always the same thing. You know, I get, I can make it deep, but I lose the big spots. I lose the big flips. You know, I just can't make it over the hump, whatever it is. But I just made someone's day by, by losing that pot to, some, to, to give him over the hump and to, right. to get him into the final table and maybe life changing money. So that's really insightful. And plus, I imagine that goes a very long way towards one's own, you know, keeping cool and tilt control. Like if, if that's your focus, then, you know, you'll always be on your A game because worst case scenario, so you made someone else happy. I like that a lot. Good stuff. I, I, I'll, I'll be honest. When, it, when we first started talking about it, I thought it was just stupid. <laughs> I mean, <laughs> like, yeah, I'm not, not going to be happy for Robbie if he busts me. I, I, don't, I don't like Robbie. He busts me. Right. Um, but no, I mean, actually, once you start realizing it and seeing it and doing it and realizing that, you know, this guy might make six figures, that's going to mm. change his life. And you don't know who he is, but, um, you know, you just know that, especially in the time that we're dealing with, I mean, any kind of score is going to help somebody and I'm going to have another opportunity. That's the one good thing about being with poker stars and being um, sponsored is I'm, I'm going to have opportunities. Right. And um, I'm very fortunate and I've got a great family, great life. So if I take a bad beat, good for that guy. For I mean, sure. you know, he can, he can have his, his break. And so it actually, you know, it has helped me maintain a, a an A game. I found that, you know, whenever I do have that, I always just remember back to like, you know what, that guy's really happy on his side. And, uh, so I, actually, I get over it pretty quickly and just start playing again. I and like it, it. it's actually helped. It's crazy, but it's helped. I like it. I mean, you said, you know, part of being sponsored with PokerStars, you've been with them for a really long time now, uh, since basically since 2003. The world has changed. The poker world has changed. PokerStars has changed, you know, over all these years. How has your role changed with them over the years? Well, you know, I was the face of the poker for many of, of the site for many years. And then they, they hired Dana Negrano and he sort of became the, the face of um, the site for what, five, six, 10, I don't even know how many years. A while. Yeah. <laughs> and, and now they, you know, they've gone away from Daniel and they transitioned more into um, where they were going to start using me a lot more. Like I had just filmed a ton of stuff for them um, and we're doing the moneymaker tour and, you know, we're, we're revamping all this stuff. 
<laughs> COVID hits and sure. like we have to sort of cut everything off a little bit for now. And, you know, I, I'm real rightfully they're focusing on the streamers right now, the people that mm. can provide them value. And um, I know that, you know, the EPT day two is going on. Almost all the ambassadors made it through to day two. Yep. Um, unfortunately I'm not able to play it. So um, again, I'm like the, starting pitcher that's just waiting for the game to end so I can play my my inning my my game next. I just I just I can't get on the pitch right now. I can't get on the field and um but they've been really cool about you know just take care of your family, do your thing, take this as a time to be on vacation because once this is all done that's you're it. You're up. We're, yeah, <laughs> you're, you're calling up. you in from the bullpen for sure. <laughs> I like it. Um so I know you obviously get asked so many questions about the 2003 main event. I'm hoping that this one is one you've never been asked before. So let's give this a try. And I, I, I mean, it's gotta be new. A recently, uh, recently there was a conversation between Barry Greenstein and Phil Ivey. It just came out a couple weeks ago. Um, you know, whole world's going, Oh, wow. It's so cool. Phil's talking. It's great. And Barry asked Phil about the famous hand in which you eliminated him in the main event. And for the first time that I know, Phil actually reacted publicly. He said it was probably the most memorable hand of his career. And his immediate thought when the ace hit on the river for you was, do not show how disappointed you are. Do not let the world see this. That was Phil's reaction. So my question to you is, knowing how generally reserved Phil Ivey is, how do you feel hearing that that was his inner reaction uh, during that moment? Well, I kind of knew that already, but um, first of all, that was the best bad beat in the history of bad beats. <laughs> him taking that bad beat made him more millions than if he would have won the tournament probably. So sure. I don't feel sorry for him. Let's put it that way. <laughs> I, I, I'm happy for him that he's, ha that he's happy, whatever. It wasn't a bad beat. Okay. But I will say, um, you know, back in those days, there weren't that many poker tournaments. So I would run into Phil periodically because oh. um, there, oh, there wasn't events in, in Europe. And it, it, back then, especially, you only had like three, four tournaments a year. It was mm -hmm. very small schedule. So you pretty much saw everybody that you see at every tournament. Right. Um, there, there wasn't these $600 buy-ins. It was all, you know, you, you played the $10,000 buy-in events and the, there were just a couple of them. Well, for the first couple ones, Phil kind of just ignored me, like avoided me, like acted like he was pissed. And we were on a cruise ship uh, the next year for the PCA. And I saw him sitting at the bar and I walked up to him. I was like, hey, you know, do we have a problem? I mean, I know I'll be getting a poker hand, but I mean, are, are we holding the grudge over this? He's like, no, nah, man, I, it's cool. I, I was pissed. I'll be honest. I was mad. Mm -hmm. He said, but it's not you. It's just the situation. I, I, we're good. And we we talked for a little while and everything was cool. But I know he, he was mad. Right. It really bothered him for a long time. And, uh, and again, that was, that was the year. Yeah. I mean, you'll never get another year like that. I mean, I was just in the right place at the right time. Um I don't know if we'll ever have another World Series that will captivate people like that one did. Um, I don't really watch much of the poker coverage anymore. Mm -hmm. um, I know a lot of people do still, but I just don't think it has the same feel and aura. I mean, you know, back when I won, poker, the main event champions, poker pros were considered, I don't know, almost otherworldly. Like they had some special power <laughs> where, you know, bracelet winners now are kind of a dime a dozen. They just mm -hmm. mail them to you in the mail now. So um, <laughs> it's just, it's a, it's a different, a different view, I guess. Sure. Uh, well, one thing that does remain constant though, is every so often, you know, like the, the whole story, you know, back then was that you turned this $86 satellite into poker glory, to this huge score, the dream. Well, you know, that dream does kind of still live on today and you, know, you still have regular examples of, of folks turning you know satelliting in you know from these small buy-ins the big buy-in events uh just recently there was a guy named uh jamie nixon he turned a 75 dollars spin and go into the final table of the 25k ept high roller he finished eighth for seventy one thousand dollars i mean that that in a sense is a very similar type of story maybe not on the same level as obviously the uh you know winning the main event but when you see stories like that happening, 
How does that make you feel? But especially considering that, you know, now 17 years later, the game is a lot tougher than it used to be. Well, you see, like Ramos did it at the PSPC. He won a platinum pass, and he ended up winning the $5 million from the PSPC. I mean... Ramon, right. Ramon Kalilis, yeah, right. Yeah. And uh, it was just insane that I was able to experience that, you know, sort of be there with him and watch. Because I remember feeling how he was feeling. I mean, mm. and the thing that I loved about him more than, you know, him winning it in the story is the next day... Uh, at the PS at the PCA, there were a couple events going on. There was like a, a 500 event, a 25k event, 10k, all these different events. He was out playing in the $500 event the next day. I love I, it. I love that. I mean, it was, it was awesome. Um, and you know, I, I had a lot of respect for him at that point, just because he can go sit down after winning all that money and go play a $500 event. I thought it was really cool sitting down, hanging out, and just and being amongst because everybody's wanting to come up and congratulate and tell him thank you. Of course. Um, it was a little bit weird because I don't I don't speak a whole lot of Spanish and he doesn't speak a whole lot of English. So we had some language barriers. We've both been kind of working on that. Um, we don't again we haven't really seen each other since the whole COVID thing hit. But um, yeah, seeing him go through that was really cool. And then you'll see someone like you know Darwin Moon or whatever. So those stories are always going to be. You know, everybody loves an underdog. Everybody loves the um, the rags to riches type stories. And poker is one of the few areas that you can have that on a consistent basis mm -hmm. and actually see it in real life as, sure. you know, on TV and things like that. So I think, you know, that's always going to be a driving factor. You know, whenever anybody that registers for the main event, obviously they're looking for that type story. Yep. And um, that's why we play it every year. That's why yep. you get 7,000 people trying to chase that, that dream. And, you know, a good friend of mine, Gary Gates, um, worked for poker stars and he ended up getting, he was third or fourth. I can't remember, but fourth, yeah. it was sad. I don't even remember, but, um, <laughs> you know, completely changed his life. Yeah. I mean, um, you know, he's all super happy out in Las Vegas living and just, you know, living the dream and yep. it, it is life changing and it's, it's truly amazing. And, um, you know, I will say that majority of the poker personalities that you see, to this day are still back from 2003 timeframe. I yep. mean, you know, TV did a really, really phenomenal job of building characters and building personalities. And um, a lot of that was they did the editing six months later. So they actually sure. got to go back into the backstory and, and learn about the players where now it's more real time. They can't right. go back and, you know, figure some of these things out. But um, I think that's a lot of the reason why you see, people talking about having a personality at the table. I think some of these younger guys would have personalities if they had time to go back and research them and, and develop the story like they sure. did in 2003. But unfortunately everything's kind of filmed in real time and you don't get to go back and, and film these backstories and have some of these cooler things. And I think, honestly, I think it would be better for poker if they took the time to edit it later and go back and learn backstories because really, you know, you see all these reality TV shows these reality TV shows don't exist if you don't tell the backstory or give someone to root for and someone to root against. Yeah. I mean, people like to root against Phil Helmuth. I mean, people love to watch him go bust and cry and do, do his little dance. They've liked it for 20 years. Um, <laughs> they like to root for Daniel Negreanu. You know, they, they have their, their favorites and they have, it's like WWE or whatever you like to watch. You have to have villains and you have to have, you know, people you root for. Sure. Yeah, and that's kind of what we're missing right now in poker is there's no real there's no villains out there per se. I mean, you know, this you have this Daniel and Doug match. Mm -hmm. I mean, they tried to make it a little bit like villainy versus, you know, whatever side you're on, you hate the other side maybe a little bit. Um, but there's just, you know, there's not as many of those as they maybe there used to be. Right. Well, you did mention that. That's going to be one of my questions for later, but I'll I'll slip it in now. Do you have uh, anything writing on uh, Daniel versus Doug? I do. I got the wrong side right now. Uh, <laughs> we can leave I, it at that. You don't have to go too specific. What's that? Yeah, no, I, I got the Daniel side. Um, okay. And, uh, well, I'm sorry. I have the Doug side, and then I took a little bit Daniel to hedge. Okay. Um, but I do think Doug's the right side, but I paid too much of a price for Doug. Okay. Um, if you but, if you were to have a, 
a heads up match like that? If you had to have one, you were compelled. Who would you want your heads up opponent to be? Some guy that's never played poker before. I love it. <laughs> I mean, listen, I'm not going after. I'm not going to go fight the the whales. I give give me the guy off the street that doesn't know how to play. I mean, <laughs> I love it. Seriously? That's the right answer. That's the best answer. Game selection. That's what it's all about. You know, this game to me is it's about providing for my family and making money and living a comfortable life yep. and not going out and trying to throw my Johnson on the table and say, I have a bigger one than you and I'm going to prove it by, you know, playing the best. I, I don't care to play the best. I, I want my family to be happy and taken care of. So, yeah, totally. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to play the guy that has no clue what he's doing insightful words um well uh, when people think of poker for the most part at least in mainstream and even within the poker world often it's just synonymous with texas hold'em but we both know you're a big mixed games fan mixed games player as well um i i really love that stuff i think it's wonderful i love that you promote those games um what is it that got you into mixed games in the first place and which one's your favorite one to play well i'll be perfectly honest it was online poker that got me into mixed games because mm. back when I won, I played pretty much predominantly with Limit Hold'em. That's the game I could beat. That's the game I could play. Um, and then that game got really hard. I mm. couldn't beat it anymore. So I started playing No Limit Hold'em, and then I realized real quickly I can't beat that online either. <laughs> so I found Limit Omaha High Low, and that game was really easy. I was like, I can, I can beat this game. Okay. So I started playing that game for a while. Then that game got tough, so I started playing PLO. PLO was profitable for a long time, and then that got really hard. So I started playing more stud games, and that got into the whole mix. And right. started playing mix, and mix hadn't got to the point where it's too hard yet. So I'm, I'm still good on the mix side. Nice. Um, but eventually, it's going to probably get too hard, and I'm going to have to find something else. But you know, it's it's basically again, it's finding the edges and finding. Mm. Um, you know where I where I can make the most value and with the less with the least amount of risk and it's a, a little bit out of boredom as well. Uh, you okay. know, you just put two cards all the time. It's it's right. nice to mix it up and it's nice to to, to play in a mixed game. And you know, during the beginning part of this quarantine, we had a mixed game group that we were playing on Poker Stars home games. That it was just incredible. We played eight game mix about every single night, and it was it was incredible. Awesome. And, uh, yeah, it kind of died off, you know, playing for no money and, you know, people just get busy. But it was fun for a long time. Um, we'd play on Zoom and, you know, you know, interact with people. It was cool, but, you know, that kind of died off. But I haven't played a mixed game in, God, March, April. You know, it's been a long time since the beginning of the, pan- the, the shutdown. Yeah, but I sure. do miss it. But, yeah, I mean, I would say my, my favorite game is probably Omaha 8 or better. Okay. Um, my – Best game might be Raz because anybody can play Raz. Um, <laughs> or they think they can. They exactly. Can uh-huh. There you go. Everyone thinks they can play Raz. Exactly. Yeah. 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 There's there's definitely strategies that you can use in, in Raz that it's amazing that people can't figure out. Right. I love it. Well, you know, you mentioned uh, home games. You mentioned, obviously, all of your ambassadorial work. You know everybody. You're friendly with everybody. You know, here at Cards Chat, we bill ourselves as the friendliest poker podcast in town. So who would you say in the poker world are some of your closest friends? Wow. Um, I'll be honest. Most of my close friends you probably never heard of. Um, oh. They're under the radar guys. Um I've got a lot of acquaintances, but I don't have like a lot of close friends. I mean, uh, it's tough to answer because I, my friend friends don't really play poker. Right. The best friend that I have that actually plays poker is by the name of this guy by the name of Bruce Peary. Um, he got 30th in the main event one year and he cashed like five years in a row, but like he plays the main event and that's about it. And he'll mm-hmm. like we went out and we played a couple of the moneymaker tours together. He actually won the one in um somewhere I won last year, I don't even remember, but um so he plays but just doesn't play a lot. Right. And I'm friends with a lot of people like you know that play maybe recreationally more than anything else. Sure. Um I found that you know it's better to have acquaintances in poker than like really good friends. Hmm. Um I don't know why that is. I guess it's just sort of gravitated that way for me. 
but I'm, I'm very friendly with Joe Hashem, Greg Raymer. Uh, we got to know each other and our families really well back in the day. Sure. Um, given the current state of things, I haven't seen either one of them in a long time. I actually just traded text messages yesterday with Raymer, actually, though, for a fundraiser thing that he's he's working on. Um, so for big names, that's that's the ones that I talk to, I guess, the most out of, you know, people, but people would know. Nice. Um, but, you know, mostly everybody else, it's going to be guys that most people never heard of. That's totally fair. Well, what's your, well, here's one. Uh, again, we're, we're trying to probe, see something you may not have been asked before. What's uh, your favorite thing to splurge on or maybe a guilty pleasure? Wow. Um, I'm a pretty easy guy. I don't really, I mean, I don't need a whole lot. Um, I bought a Porsche once, which was stupid. Um, <laughs> my wife told me it would be the stupidest thing I ever did. And it was convertible. And I said, no, this is awesome. I want this. Is, I'm going to drive it forever. And, it was, and I bought it in summer, put the top down, drove it for like four months nonstop. Uh-huh. And it got cold. I put the, you know, put it up and put it in the garage. And about two and a half years later, I hadn't driven it at all. And my wife said, can we sell that car, please? That you had to have. And yeah, so that was my last splurge, whatever. Okay. Had to have. Um, but now, I mean, honestly, I'm pretty basic. I want, I want nice things for my kids, nice things for my wife. But she doesn't like nice things. I mean, she doesn't wear jewelry. She doesn't – I mean, yeah, I'm very fortunate. She doesn't like the end of bling. She doesn't like – I mean, she doesn't wear makeup. I mean, we're both pretty low-key, low-maintenance. We like nice food. We like, I like cookies and cakes. And <laughs> That's great. Uh, I yeah. love it. Simple. It doesn't take a lot to make you happy. I think that's yeah, wonderful. I mean, my, my wife drives a minivan, and I drive a Buick Enclave. So, awesome. I mean – yeah, it's not like, you know, we don't drive expensive cars. Our house is nice, but it's not excessive. I mean, I just don't really splurge on a whole lot, to be honest. Sure. But, which makes it to where when I'm going through a pandemic, you know, we've got enough saved and, you know, we're sure. fine sure. Um, because we don't splurge. Right. Oh, well, you said, you know, you do like getting nice things for your kids. I know you mentioned on Twitter recently that you were on the hunt for an elusive PlayStation 5 for a Christmas present. So I imagine they're not listening to this podcast, but did you have any success or are you off to the eBay streets? I haven't had any success yet, but I have till Christmas. So (laughs) if I have to pay a premium, I will. But I'm imagining as we get closer to Christmas, those will probably start popping up. Um, And yeah, we'll splurge on them. We'll give them iPads and PlayStation 4s and, um, you know, let them have things that you know well they didn't exist when we were kids but right <laughs> that's how we are um but i want them to have all those things you know all you know the nicer clothes and you know all the things that you know i did have that stuff growing up the nicer stuff so i wanted sure. to have that too. Oh, and that. i've got one that's starting to drive so we're already talking about buying her a new car there you go um, it's going to be used but it will be you know a nice new car. to her that's it that's, that's it my dad bought my cars when I was 16, so uh, to be able to do that for my kids is, is really nice. So That's awesome. Um, yep. Uh, so we'll be doing that, and obviously the PlayStation 5 is the big thing right now that we're sort of on the hunt for. Mm-hmm. Uh, my wife told me the other day, she's like, you know, we can get an Xbox probably. Like, no. We, you know, we're, we're PlayStation <laughs> 5 she didn't know the difference. She didn't care. She just saw that you might be able to get one of those easier. But, right. Well, the last question I got for you uh, before we move into the community questions part of the show, um, I'd say like, you know, the biggest one for last. So I'm sure you got an answer off the cuff. So, Chris, your legacy in Brad poker. Pitt. Pardon me? Brad Pitt. <laughs> oh, sorry. I thought the biggest one, like, who do you, who do you think you look like the most? Right? There you go. That's the yes, one. exactly. Um, well, Chris, your legacy in poker is secure. Uh, of course, people are always going to know the name Chris Moneymaker. You won the main event. You've been a fantastic ambassador for Poker Stars. You're promoting our game brilliantly for over a decade and a half. As of last year, you're in the Poker Hall of Fame, but you're still very much in your prime. You got decades ahead of you. You're still working on your game, all that stuff. How do you want to add to your legacy? <sighs> Honestly, I don't know what, I mean, 
there's not really anything to add per se as far as like titles or you know i don't ever look at titles and stuff like that it's really about you know what can i do to help grow the game and that's you know through the moneymaker tour or these smaller tours like i like playing the the 600 buy-ins the 1500 buy-ins the buy-ins where everybody can play i mean first of all they're a lot more fun people have a lot better experiences i like doing appearances where i go out and i teach people how to play mm. i've you know one of my things i was going to do in my poker club is have like a a Tuesday night beginner night to where people that's never played before come in and learns how to play. Um, I like teaching people that don't know the game at all and want to come in and, and educate them about the game, not because it's a game that you can make money at, but it's a good social game too. Like, you know, one of the questions I would always get asked, are you going to teach your kids how to play? And uh, I've always said that, yeah, I'll definitely teach my kids how to play if they show desire, they want to learn. So if their friends start playing or if they just want to do it from a social aspect, I would never want them to be a pro professional poker player. Um, but I definitely, it's, it's great for math. It's great for social. It's a great social game. I mean, um, if you, I mean, I'm not the most outspoken guy in the world. I, I'm um, growing up. I had friends, but they weren't plentiful. I had really good friends, but they weren't, I didn't have a ton of friends and I, I'm sort of the same way now. I mean, I have some friends, but they're all, friends I've known forever. I mean, I don't just go out and just make a ton of friends right. uh, very easily. I'm more of a introvert. Uh, surprisingly, like when I won the main event, they told me I was going to do all these interviews and I'm like, no, there's no way in hell. Uh, you know, I, I'm petrified of doing interviews that just wasn't going to happen. And then so, you're on Letterman, right? What's that? <laughs> and then you go on David Letterman. Right? <laughs> yeah. And they said, you're going on David Letterman. I'm like, no, that's not going to happen. They talked me into it. But, you know, I've made a life of sort of being around people, entertaining people, being in that environment. But like that's that's me, but it's not me. And I guess that makes sense. I I can sit here and be at home and be when I, I don't have to go to a party. I don't have to to go and be around people. I'm perfectly happy sitting at home with my my family and just like this six months. I haven't I've craved to go out and play a little poker here and there but I haven't craved to go out and just like be around a ton of people Right. Um, where, I mean, I know some of my friends are just, they can't wait to go out just to do anything around people. Um, I'm pretty content just sort of being by myself a little bit. And so I'm more introverted that way. And um, maybe that's a little bit what people don't, don't know about me, but um, so to answer your question again, in a very long way, it's to help grow the game. Um, you know, I'd love for one of my kids to be able to play and, and have fun with it, but, um, outside of that, I mean, I don't have any desire to, I mean, I obviously have a desire to win another main event or something like that, but I mean, it's not one of my goals. Sure. I mean, I'm trying to get better just to be a better player and to support my family and the game's changing. You have to get better if you're going to stay in the game. I mean, it's really hard to stay in this game and stay profitable if you're not working on your game. Sure. Um, so, I mean, I, I want to be playing this game when I'm 80 because again, I've got three kids and they probably are going to want nice things their whole life. And, Dad's going to try to take care of it. I love it. That's a great, fantastic answer. And, you know, like you said, you know, there's some, some things that people don't necessarily know about you, but I think it's been wonderful to, especially those who are watching and not just listening uh, to see. Yeah, it's, it's pretty darn obvious. You're comfortable sitting at home. You're happy. You're content. And that just, it makes me happy. And I'm sure anyone who's been paying attention this uh, thus far uh, sees it and certainly very, very heartwarming to witness. Um, time to get into our community questions portion of this episode of the Cards Chat podcast. This is the episodes, uh, sorry, the questions that you guys wanted to go ahead and ask our guests. Our first question comes from Poker Study. Thank you very much, Poker Study, for submitting this one. Chris, I watched the 2003 WSOP and I'm still in shock how well you kept your cool playing against all those big names and winning the series. How did you put some of the players on those hands, especially players like Amir Vahedi? Well, you know, poker back then was a little bit simpler than what it is today. There wasn't a whole lot of training materials. There wasn't a whole lot of um, evolution in the game. And back then, especially like in my home game, my home poker room, they had actually written on the rule, checking and raising is not allowed. You couldn't check <laughs> Um, so wow. one of my biggest strategies back then was to play in position. And if people check to me, I bet, and I would take it down a lot of times. And that was my strategy almost for like the first three days. It's really sad, but that's all I had to do. 
Right. Because uh, people generally would bet when they had it. And, um, you know, there was a lot of donk betting. There was a lot of leading into pots when people had things. So, um, and again, back then, you, ranges weren't really a thing. You put people on specific hands. I mean, this guy has aces, ace, king, or nothing. Right. I, I mean, that that was the the ranges. So, um, <laughs> you're playing with someone like Amir Vahidi, for example, who plays the moon. He plays every every combination of cards mm-hmm. is what he would do. Yeah, you, you would have you know someone like that or someone like Howard Letterer who only played aces, ace, king, uh, really premium hands. Right. Amir Vahidi was a very active player. So obviously, if you're an active player, you're going to have air a lot. And um, the other thing that people did back then that they that I picked up online, and this was um, sadly so far ahead of the time, is bet sizing errors. Um, uh-huh. You know, when you're playing online, you all you that's all I ever focused on was bet sizing, especially on the turn. Not so much on the flop, but on the turn, someone's bet sizing always gave away the strength of their hand. Right. And you could see it in the World Series. People would, you know, vary their bet sizing drastically on the turn based on their holdings. And they weren't that crafty with it back then. Uh-huh. Um, it was just an error. And we've learned and we, we, we've gotten better as a as a game. But, yeah, it was something that I definitely capitalized back in back in 2003. So awesome. Um, Amazing. Great question, uh, poker study and great answer. Uh, our next question comes from Jut315. Uh, who asks, what is the best way for a new player to study poker for free? That's an interesting one. Well, if you're wanting to do it for free, the best way is going to be on Twitch. I mean, I don't really know of another tweet, uh, free venue that you can actually go out and watch poker from really good players that will answer your questions in real time. They'll tell you what their thought process is. I mean, Twitch is an amazing platform for poker, and it's something that um, obviously if it was around 20 years ago, it would have been a really nightmare for me. Um, the amount of poker knowledge that's out there right now is phenomenal. Um, you can find poker's training sites, um, really good ones for really cheap, you know, $19.95 a month, $40 a month. You know, they're all, they're all different price points. Um, uh, but if you're looking for strictly free, then I would, I would send you the Twitch streets. So that's where you can go. You know, you have to probably dig through a bunch of, stuff but if you pay attention take note to what some of the good streamers are doing then um you know find one that you know fits your style i mean you might see someone like lex who plays one way or Sprague who plays another way and maybe you fit more into lex's style see what he's doing in three bet pots and what he's raising with what he's raised folding with why is he doing things ask questions and that that's honestly and he'll answer the questions and so will Sprague. i mean that's what they're doing is they're educating players for free, essentially. Right. And I like your answer. It's uh, very consistent with what you had said about paid learning as well, a variety of different sources to learn from. Uh, and of course, I guess you could do that for free as well on Twitch. doesn't really beat free. Um, our next question is from Acid Burn FX. Uh, Chris, before becoming profitable, was poker stressful for you? No, it was always a hobby for me. It was never, poker, I mean, I've been very fortunate. Poker's never been a stress for me because back when, before the World Series main event, it was just a prop, it was a, just a hobby, something I did for fun. I mean, I loved playing poker. I would play poker for 60 hours in a weekend when me and my friend Bruce that, you know, uh, talked about earlier, we would go down to Tunica and we would drive down there. We wouldn't get a hotel. We would stay the whole weekend playing and we would, you know, basically tag team drive back four hours back to Nashville um, because we would stay up all night playing the entire weekend. Uh, we just awesome. loved playing poker. It was, it was, it was fun. It was something that we just enjoyed doing. So, um, and I was actually a profitable player from the beginning because people were so bad. Um, and then you take that and then my first tournaments at the main event kind of won that. So, um, you know, when you have, add both of those together, Right. It's always been profitable for me. So, um, and if, and I had a question that I always remember. A lady asked me, you know, she's like, yeah, I play in poker tournaments, but then I'll go play a thousand dollar buy-in and I lose that thousand dollar buy-in and it bothers me for a week. Mm-hmm. It affects me for a week. I get really frustrated and 
you know, that's really financially a big hit for me. She's like, what would you say to me? Like, you know, to, to get over that. And I was like, don't play a thousand dollar buy-in. It's going to affect you for more than a yeah. couple hours. Um, you don't need to be playing it. So right. anything, you know, the, the bankroll management is a thing for a reason. Um, you should never stress when you're playing poker. Now, granted, almost every poker player I know has gone broke playing, you know, over their head or doing something they shouldn't do poor bankroll management. But as you get older, you learn not to do that mess and um, you play within your means. And the quicker you learn that, the better you're going to have a time playing poker and the more fun the game is going to be. Nice. Well, here's one that I imagine you have been asked before, but I don't know the answer. So we're going to ask you and it's from Shells. Thank you very much. Shells has always been very active submitting questions to all of our interviewees here on the Cards Chat podcast. Uh, Chris, aside from the main event win, what would you say is your most memorable poker moment? Well, I would say it's a tie for two. Getting second in the NBC Heads Up was um, really cool because of the, the tournament format. I like Heads Up. And I'd made deep runs before, but never down to Heads Up. And I knew I could get there. And I, I was hopefully going to win the thing, but they stopped doing it, dang it. Um, <laughs> so that that was really really rewarding and then also uh getting 11th in the pca uh, i've had better scores than that obviously and i've done i've won other events but that event specifically um is one of the tough events toughest events of the year um there's really no weak players in the pca uh, for for many years um so to get 11th in that and i think it was 11 or 13, 2011, I can't remember what it was, but um, that was a really rewarding thing um, to be able to do that. And then I got ninth uh, last year in a tournament, um, a $10,000 buy-in during and out in Vegas. And um, just to be able to make deep runs against top flight competition um, is always good. It's always rewarding. I mean, you know, I, the Moneymaker Tour, I, I won two of the 11 and cashed and eight of the 11 events. Uh-huh. Yeah. Uh-huh. <laughs> uh, and well, that's great. I mean, I'm not playing against world-class competition. Sure. Um, I can play an exploitive style. I can do some things and I get away with a lot of stuff. But when you play with some guys that are, you know, playing optimally all the time, it, right. it, it, it's a different game. And it, it's a lot more rewarding, I guess, when you're able to, to get in there and battle, you know, you, some of the smaller buy-ins, you get gifted a lot of chips. People sure. make mistakes. They just give you chips. You have to fight tooth and nail for every single chip you get in, in some of these events. And to make deep runs, those are always the most rewarding. Love it. Great answer. And definitely not one that I expected to hear. So uh, good answer and great question from Shells. Thank you. Our uh, set and, well, second to last question here uh, from Antonis32123. If you could turn back time, would you do anything differently after you won the WSOP? Did you make any mistakes in handling the worldwide love and media attention? I would train, change a lot. I don't think I did any mistakes as far as like handling how I handled things from a personal standpoint, from like doing interviews and doing all that. So I think that all was fine. Um, my biggest problem is, is right after I won the main event, my second tournament I played, I got second in which is a WTP, a WPT event. Mm-hmm. I ended up getting second place to have, um, Phil Gordon. Mm-hmm. And when you start your poker career, winning the main event and getting second in a WPT, <laughs> um, you kind of feel like you know what you're doing. Yeah. <laughs> and that unfortunately breeds complacency, complacency. And I didn't study the game of poker. I didn't, didn't focus on trying to improve for many years. Um, and I didn't play a whole lot. So for the next couple of years when I was playing and I was getting beat, I wasn't making the, I was making runs, but I wasn't like winning tournaments. I wasn't, you know, getting in the money a whole lot. I would blame a lot of it on bad luck. You know, my mm-hmm. aces were getting cracked or um, it was all bad luck. And it wasn't the fact that, everybody's getting better. I'm getting, instead of getting three bet with aces, kings, and ace, king, Right now I'm getting bet three bet with queen five, mm-hmm. and I'm getting exploited. And I didn't see it. And it wasn't until 
I want to say almost a decade later, almost, I mean, maybe not that long, but it was probably like seven or eight years that I was playing on poker stars and the guy who was ranked number one or two in the world at the time, I, I want to say it was Sean D, but I'm not sure, but he he's of that ilk. He, we played a pot and I had ace king. We were deep in a 5k event and he four bet me all in with queen five. Hmm. And I thought at the time, this is the dumbest play I've ever seen. <laughs> I won the hand. I eliminated him. And I'm like, what the hell? And then, But I knew who it was. Okay. I knew he was a phenomenal player. Right. And even though I won the hand, I eliminated the person, I still was like, why? Right. I mean, he did, you're not the, the number one player in the world doing that or number two player in the world doing that without a reason. So it, it actually woke me up to the fact that I, I'm getting abused mm-hmm. and not seeing. Because obviously, if I have like nines there back in the day, I'm probably folding. Right. I'm, I'm overfolding too often to four bets because I'm putting them on too high of a range. Mm-hmm. And I was being exploited and I didn't realize it. And that was me being complacent. So if there's one thing I could go back and change would be to study the game of poker earlier on. Uh, and again, the, the problem I had was poker was so easy back then. Yeah. Just print money. I could teach someone to go play poker in two hours, send them to the casino, and I'll guarantee they'd make money. Wow. Poker was just easy. You could print money. If you weren't making money in from 2003 to 2009, you shouldn't be playing poker. Right. So I was still making good money, but all the elite players were getting so much better than me, and I didn't see it. Right. Because That's interesting. Play- enough right and it's an interesting story about your aha moment so thank you for sharing that with us uh, our final question comes from our good friend debbie debbie who runs and administers the forums thank you so much debbie um she says like this, this is an interesting personal story in question for you chris i have played on a table with you a couple times in wsop circuit events at harrah's in cherokee uh, north carolina I was very impressed with how friendly and talkative you were with myself and other players at the table. A lot of pros don't do that, and it means a lot to the amateur players. So on behalf of all of them, thank you for that. I did notice both times everyone seems like they wanted to get in pots with you, pots that they shouldn't be in, LOL. Does that happen a lot on the tables? Players just making bad decisions so they can maybe get lucky and win a big pot from you? And if so, how does that impact your game? I think we touched on this a little bit before, but mm-hmm. first of all, thank you, Debbie. And you know, one of the things that I like to do with the tables engage with people, that's partly why I play the $600 events is because they're fun and they're engaging and people are just there to have a good time. Usually I'm there as an ambassador to, to make sure everybody has a good time. So for the most part, I'm always going to be talking at the tables. Um, secondly, uh, we touched on it a little bit. That's why I have so many coaches and so many different things. Cause I like to mesh it and fit it to my style because I do get, people playing at me more often. So I do call down lighter and I bluff less. That's how I adjust. I have people doing crazy things to me. So I will call down lighter than most people. And I just don't bluff near as much because people are always calling me. So it's been very profitable for a very long time because (laughs) like Debbie says, people play hands. They shouldn't be playing with me. And, uh, you know, in the beginning, it was a little tough to get used to, but people did it so poorly that it was easy to, easy to pick up on. And usually within 30 minutes, they played, they played just very polarized. Um, and me and Phil Helmuth actually talked about this. They do the same thing with Phil Helmuth. Uh-huh. They either try to attack you or they stay out of your way. And um, it's very easy in the first, like, 20, 30 minutes to figure out who's doing what. Right. As you move up in ranks, obviously, that, that changes. But even then, you know, you get up there and – you be playing some of these big buying events and you know, like, oh, I'm like, dude, you're giving me crazy eyes. You're going to do something stupid. I know you are. Just don't do it. Don't do it. Sure enough, five hands later, he goes and does it. Uh, I did that in the tournament once. So the guy was just eyeballing me for no reason. He's like hawking me. I'm like, dude, you're going to do something stupid. You're going to try to bluff me out of a pot here. Just don't do it. And yeah, he couldn't help it. But yeah, so I just, that, that's how I adjust. That's fair. I have to admit, you know, were you and I sitting at the table, I, I'm sure I would at least try once to pull something off and, so that I'd have the story and say, hey, I bluffed Chris Moneymaker off a pot 
or he caught me with the queen five. So, um, but uh, yep. thank you. Yeah, thank you very much, Debbie. And thank you everyone for submitting those great questions for Chris Moneymaker. Just a friendly reminder to all of you out there in the Cards Jack community, we'd love for you to submit your questions to our future podcast guests. There's a dedicated thread in the forum, so be sure to send them in there. And of course, please be sure to give us a good review on iTunes and spread the word about this podcast via your social media channels if you like the show. Chris, before we let you go, anything else you'd like to share with our listeners and people who are watching the show? Just wear your mask and get over this stuff so we can actually go back to playing real poker and being around each other. It's so frustrating not knowing what's going on and when we're ever going to, you know, recover and, uh, you know, not to, not to be political, but just wear, wear a mask and be safe. Stay out of everybody's way. Hopefully we can get over this and I can see everybody again one day, but just stay safe. Love it. Great answer. Chris, thank you very much. I appreciate you taking the time and spending it with me. I've, I've enjoyed myself a lot. Hope you've enjoyed too. And uh, thanks to everyone. It's been a long time. Yeah, thank you. And thanks to everyone for tuning in once again to another episode of Cards Chat. I'm Robbie Straczynski. You can follow me on Twitter at Card Player Life. I hope you guys have a wonderful day. Take care, guys. Cards Chat, the friendliest poker podcast in town from the world's number one poker community.